Passover is near, so too is the hour for Jesus. John keeps talking about the hour is near. We are moving closer to the cross, and gratitude is central to John's story. Perhaps gratitude is a part of our story every single day as we, too, move closer to death every day. Gratitude for another day and gratitude for the life and love we have lived. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they really know death. Just days earlier, it was the stench of death that had filled that very house. Lazarus had died there. Mary and Martha had grieved there. Jesus had arrived and they wept together. And I cannot even imagine what these five humans are experiencing now in this story. Do you remember what it's like when you first go back into a house after the one you loved has passed away and you see them everywhere and you want them back so badly. You want to see them again. That's what they're experiencing. They have their brother back. They have their friend back. There's really no protocol for thanking Jesus adequately for this kind of gift. Lazarus's presence at that table confirms that death is not the final word. And what a dinner party they are having. Martha does what Martha likes to do. Martha cooks, and she serves dinner. And I'm pretty excited about two weeks from today that we get to eat together again on Easter morning. Celebrations always include gratitude. What do they call it? Giving thanks before you eat. Gratitude. And think about the smells, as Chad talked about in children's time. Remember our conversation we had last week about smells? The Lazarus stinketh, yes. What a difference a week makes. The smell in this story is food and red wine and really fine perfume. Kipling wrote, smells are surer than sounds or sights. They make your heartstrings crack. Our sense of smell relates closely to the place in our brain where we process memories, just as Chad mentioned the white shoulders. Today's story is a story of contrast. The smell of Mary's perfume counters the stench of Lazarus's body in the tomb. Mary's response is not only deep gratitude, but deep generosity, which is another contrast 
Mary's generosity with Judas's stinginess. Remember the first Sunday of Lent? We read John 6, where John describes Judas as the father of lies. Remember when we talked about the lies between Ukraine and Russia? In today's story, John says more about Judas. He's a thief who stole from the common purse. Imagine like passing the collection plates, and instead of somebody putting something in or passing it on, you got somebody who's taking it out as it goes by you. That's our Judas. A little background here. A normal wage for one denarii, excuse me, for one day's work is one denarii. So when you account for Sabbaths, 300 denarii are the equivalent of one year's work. A year's work. That is a lot of money. Mary's generosity was indeed extravagant. I don't think Judas really gets this. I don't think he gets gratitude. I don't think he gets extravagance and generosity. I don't think he gets Mary's lavish love. He wants to make Mary the bad guy. 21st century, we might call that gaslighting in this scene. The text says, Judas isn't really concerned about the poor. And this is the moment when Jesus says, hey, Judas, Mary has agency. Jesus affirms Mary's ability to make choices for herself. Mary is not ni some nice little humble girl. Now, let's talk about this word agency. It's come to be one of my favorite words in the last few years. What does it mean? One's independent capability or ability to act on one's own will. Mary doesn't seem to really care what Judas thinks. Mary doesn't seem to really care what anybody in the room thinks, except for Jesus. 300 denarii. I got to tell you, in honesty, I would have probably agreed with Judas. I would have thought she's lost her mind. To spend an entire year's wages on perfume? The NRSV, which is on our cover today, translates it, she bought it. But in most translations, it's a little different. And I, I, it seems to be a little closer to the Greek. Mary kept this perfume for just such a time as now. Most scholars think that Mary probably had this kind of money as a result of inheritance from her parents. Her parents seem to be gone in this story. And here's the point. She gets to decide what she does with her money. Mary has used her agency before. She's the same woman who decided that she wanted to engage in theological conversation instead of spending her entire time cooking with Martha in the kitchen a few chapters earlier. Mary refuses to accept the culturally defined boxes that have been established for her. And it's not just her money. Mary, a woman, gets to decide what to do 
with her body. She gets to decide what to do with her hair. If you're like me, you may have heard a little too much about hair this week and its importance. Mary gets to decide how to respond to Judas's rude comment. Still talking about the same thing here. Mary gets Mary doesn't let Judas's comment deter her. She's focused. She is focused, laser focused on Jesus. Mary's wiping of Jesus' feet foreshadows the time when Jesus will wipe the feet of his disciples, which is just in the very next chapter. She's a model disciple, using her agency in the same way that Jesus will use his. And she chooses extravagant generosity. She chooses pure nard, the text says which many to believe to be something called spikenard. It's a fragrant oil derived from a plant in the mountains of northern India. So this is an oil that has had to travel quite a ways, which adds to its expense, and it's very rare. A perfume of this type and this amount would have only been available to the very wealthy. Mary chooses what to do with her money with her body, with her hair, and she chooses to anoint Jesus' feet. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. She's a single woman who chooses to touch an adult male. She chooses to let her hair down and to pour perfume on his feet. What? This is a kind of profound intimacy. Mary's hair imbues the act of a tactile experience. In that time and place, letting your hair down, touching physical touch with a male, was in the confines of a marriage. And you know, I was thinking about it, maybe not just that time. I'm thinking, if y'all saw me doing this in this time, you would think, really strange. If I poured expensive perfume on a man's feet and started wiping them with my hair, I just wonder if, if maybe we all wouldn't have been a little like Judas. Like, what is she doing? But you don't really want to talk about that, so you just talk about the money instead. Um, or the poor. Let's talk about the poor, Judas says. Mary gets to love who Mary wants to love. She has agency. It is okay to break social protocol for gratitude, for generosity, for the affirmation of agency. For women and their money, their bodies, their love, and their place in the life and ministry of Jesus. You see, this act is a really important theological act. It is symbolically important. Kings are anointed on their heads. You only anoint feet with oil for burial. So Mary is hereby proclaiming that something really important is about to happen. Jesus is about to die. She is a part of the narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus. 
It's a sign. The gospel writer of the book of John loves the word signs. In fact, the resurrection of Lazarus was a sign. It was a sign that led many to believe. And then in, uh, a little further down in verse 17 here, it will say that this leads many to flock to Jesus. And a little further down, it will say that this leads them to plot his death. The aroma filled the space, inviting everyone there, if they so chose, to experience this moment of beauty, to experience a blessing for each dinner guest, not just to witness, but to participate in, if they choose. And it's a significant reminder that beauty expands, goodness expands, love expands. It spreads, it blesses, generosity has legs. I put this in the newsletter this week. Margie's generosity to our Afghan family led another family to send this church a check for $1,000 for us to send to help the people in Ukraine through the one great hour of sharing. Wow, that's what happens. Goodness grows. Gifts of beauty and love goes beyond the bounds of the initial event and recipients. But as Judas shows, we have to have a heart that beats for beauty and love rather than for stinginess and trying to control others. Every church has a Judas. Every family has a Judas. Every one of us has a Judas inside of us. The one who wants to be the head decision maker. The one who always knows what is best. We, we all have that, that Judas inside of us. Who knows how money should be, should be spent. Who knows? They just know. This story says, sit down, Judas. Let Mary love. How are we loving today? How are we showing our gratitude? How are we showing it through extravagant generosity? We're going to sing in just a few moments. And Eric, could you hand me that book back there, the Lenten book? We talked about um, this hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow, on Wednesday night, and how like the writer, I have gone through a phase of really not liking this song very well, but like the writer, I have begun to see the beauty in it again. It was written, by, it was inspired by a woman who was bedridden for over 20 years. The author of this book says, what's so lovely about this hymn is that it doesn't pledge or expect a quick fix or any fix at all. It's not that God will do that or God will do what I ask or that God will repair everything tomorrow. It's simply that God sees. Mary sees Jesus. She really sees him. And Jesus sees Mary. 
Jesus sees you. Thanks be to God.